Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Lost Broadcasts, which is, as always, a podcast about shows that tried and failed to be the next lost. I am the shy one on the podcast, Hannah. I'm the boisterous one on the podcast, Esther. Yeah, I'm always like trying to match her energy. And she's like, you can't see it, but visually she is flailing her arms around in joy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, hi, do we hi. have a show to talk about this week? I guess we do. Huh? Um, but just barely. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, yeah. yeah. The, uh, the show this, week, this month is Drive. Yes. Um, which is... Our, our least existent show, I guess, is one way to put it. Yeah. It's... you. I, I remember it was, like, the day we were sitting down to try to watch it, we did have a bit of, like, last-minute trouble actually tracking down files of it. Yeah. It's uh, it's not super watchable. Shout out, out to a friend of the show, Juan Barquin, for, for yes. hooking us up from their super-secret special um, Huge TV fan. website, whatever that might be. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> so here's the thing, right? We've been talking for the last few episodes about this idea of site-specific lost, right? Because you have the standard lost alike that proposes what if the mystery takes place in Cleveland? And then you have the site-specific lost alike that draws a line in the sand and says, no, this shall not pass. This mystery is not in Cleveland. But what we have right now is about as far as you can get away from that because the mystery that it asks is, what if the mystery was about getting to Cleveland? <laughs> Quite literally. In it's fact. Dr- yeah, no, literally Cleveland is the last place to go in this series. Yeah, exactly. It's Drive. The show is Drive yeah. from 2007, all the way back in 2007. Tell me what Drive is. So Drive is a one-hour automotive adventure mystery thriller that aired on Fox in April 2007. Okay. okay. Now, that's, that's like saying that like Lost is a show that aired in, uh, what, September 2004. It's like, okay, that's when it started. When did it end? It's funny you should mention that. It ended in April 2007. Um, okay, so uh, it like started airing on like April 1st, 8th, mm, 15, 22. That's five episodes, no, like a no, double. No. No. First, first episode aired on April 15th, halfway already through the month, um, and it would not see the ending. <laughs> okay, okay. So yeah. That's rough. No, yeah. This, this, this show, we're teasing it but it had six episodes Mm -hmm. total six episodes there was an unaired pilot that had a couple cast members who got replaced like when they reshot it Mm -hmm. um four of those episodes aired within eight days of each other on the fox network (gasps) yeah eight days and the remaining we'll go into detail about that later as far as just like the strict logistics of it yeah the remaining two they just dumped online Mm -hmm. um so, well, if you remember our last episode when we talked about how Person is Unknown was pre-canceled. Yeah. Um, like, canceled before it ever started airing. Somehow, Drive flopped even harder than that. Unbelievably. <gasps> um, you know, by far the fewest episodes out of any... Well, not by far. Yeah. But... It's... I mean, I would say that's, like, debatable whether this is a bigger flop than Person's Unknown or not. Because, like, obviously it has much fewer episodes than Person's Unknown. But Person's Unknown was pulling, like, struggling to get two million yeah. as a summer replacement that was fucking up that much yeah whereas this at the very least like you know it, it started with 6.0 and ended with 4.6 so it's not like it was cratering or like two people watched it from the start there is a non-zero chance that if you are listening to this right now that you are saying to yourself i think i saw an episode of that when i was a kid it's possible 
Not probable, I'd say. It's not probable. I mean, just, just... But it's more possible than, say, a person's unknown. Just in terms of the amount of time, the amount of days in your life when you have had the TV on, Drive occupied so few of those days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just, like, imagining the Dr. Manhattan meme, but it's just, like, uh, talking about two specific days. <laughs> it is April 15th. I am watching Drive. It is April 16th. I am watching Drive. Nothing ever changes. And he goes forward to the next day, and it's like, oh, psh, I was fucking wrong. My bad. <laughs> Yeah, back in 2007, like, network TV in general, but also just Lost Alikes were held to a much higher, like, viewership standard. Yeah, um, if you weren't a steady earner, they were just, like, no, you know, yeah. putting a black bag over your head immediately. They, they were they were much uh, much more strict with uh, their metric for success. Yeah. Um, There's another reason I wouldn't call this the biggest flop. Well, why is that? Because we like it. We did like it. No, this one is really fun, actually. I had heard, like, in my TV friend circles for years that, like, Drive is one of those shows that's like, oh, that was canceled too soon. That show was really good. And I didn't know if that meant it was really good, really good, or like uh-huh. really fun, really good. It's the latter. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with that. Like, it's really entertaining. There's a lot that we, that I genuinely thought was like really good television. Yeah. Um, in these scant few episodes. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being really fun, really good. Like, I'd say Reunion is very fun, very good. And yeah. that's like one of my favorite TV shows. I've, I've still not stopped thinking about those guys and how they deserved so much better. Yeah. But, um, yeah, this isn't, like, at Reunion's level or Daybreak's level, but, like, I think this is pretty comfortably, like, the third best show we've watched. Yeah. So, welcome to the podium. Welcome welcome to the podium. <gasps> Which, did you do that for races? They do. God, that's so true. And how sad that it wasn't number one in that context. Um, <laughs> no, so what is Drive about? Yeah. Let's talk about the high-level premise, right? One fateful day, <laughs> seemingly random people, lost a lake, mm-hmm. asterisk, ding, ding. are selected to take part in an illegal cross-country road race. And that happens in every lost a lake, too, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. off screen. So this is the road race for this they one. A, they had a go-kart in a Dharma barracks. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, the race is being organized by a mysterious, seemingly all-powerful organization. Yeah. Um, the prize is $32 million. And the stakes outside that prize are not clear, particularly, but, uh, you know, possibly in the realm of life and death for everybody. Yeah, it's the sort of thing where it's like, for some people, there's an implication that, like, you know, we have your wife or, like, we will kill your baby daughter if you don't take part in a race. But for some people, it's just like, they... They kind of just seem to be invited. Yeah, they just, they're just invite. We're invited and they want to $32 million. Yeah. That's as complicated as it needs to get for some of these characters. For sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, what's the lost style mystery there? So it's like, you know, who is the mysterious race organization? Mm-hmm. What do they want? Like, why did they choose all of these specific people? Can they be defeated? Do they need to be defeated? <laughs> Are they evil? I mean, like, they... w- one character is really trying to defeat them. But, like, I think everyone else is pretty much okay with the race organization. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, they do, and in some sense, like, they have kidnapped someone's wife. Yeah. And, you know, they have, they're have they getting people to maybe hurt each other. But, like, I don't know. They, they don't... It's not like the person's unknown people who are just, like, yeah, they're just, like, kidnapping and murdering people willy-nilly. This organization is, just seems to be, like, 
in it for fun, pretty much. Yeah, like, about 50 minutes into this episode, Esther's just gonna feel that, like, yeah, my parents actually, like, work for the race organization. <laughs> That's how they met. They actually do a lot of good, like, across the country. <laughs> a lot of people don't... A lot of these, you know, news organizations, yeah. these leftist news organizations won't tell you. Yeah, the, the town in Connecticut that she comes from is just, like, a, a corporate town for the race organization. <laughs> but anyway, um, it's a serviceable mystery. Oh, it's fine. it's not... It's There's nothing wrong with it. It's not like I'm, I'm looking at it and just, like, getting it infected with CinemaSins brain the way that I do when, like, uh, Persons Unknown is asked to, like, fill in one detail about its world. No, I mean, they did not, frankly, have time, I think, to get into the stuff no. that might have made us really, like, cringe, but... Yeah. I mean, hey, that we can only judge the show on what we are given. Yeah, it's serviceable. It's not what draws us to the show, but it's also not really a mark against it. Yeah, and also, like, what's good about the show really has nothing to do with that. It is, like, yeah. you know, it wouldn't necessarily be a problem if the mystery was bad. It's The show's biggest problem is kind of that every time it engages with the mystery stuff, <laughs> we'll get it's the worst stuff. Details, yeah. But it wouldn't, like, the stuff that's good wouldn't be brought down if the mystery was bad. So it's good that the mystery's okay. Yeah. So, yeah, um, you may be thinking, is this playing a little fast and loose? No. <laughs> With the idea of Lost Likes? It's no? Not. It's no. not? Okay, observe, observe. This is a quote from our first episode. Uh, what we have here is a list of Lost Alike criteria. Number one, took inspiration from Lost and premiered after it. Check. Number two, a modern day, seemingly normal setting. Check. Number three, an ensemble cast, seemingly unconnected often seemingly normal check 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 this is like the first one that's actually done that of like people who you would never think would intertwine but now they're suddenly intertwining we have been searching for a lost like that's that true does that even persons unknown really wasn't that no number four sci-fi fantasy elements mm, not check uh that manifest in the form of a slow burning heavily serialized mystery check and cancelled within two seasons check okay so that's 4.5 out of 5 yeah this might be like the most lost alike lost alike we've covered it honestly does get the closest which is kind of crazy because Mm -hmm. like on the surface it feels nothing like what what lost is yeah but no it is undeniably like it gets the closest it's kind of crazy and if that Um, doesn't convince you Esther I think you have a quote you want to read yeah so this is a quote from series co-creator Tim Minear um who some of you um uh, Whedon-esque posters yeah. from back in the day might recognize his name. We'll get into that later. Yeah. It says, quote, A secret illegal underground road race can be anything from Cannonball Run to The Game to North by Northwest to Magnolia on Wheels. Ours is all of those things. <laughs> what I love about that is that, like, it proves this is a Lost Alike by being something that you could only possibly get away with saying yeah. in a world where Lost was pulling, like, eight-digit viewer counts every uh week it's like if lost isn't a success then like you will be beaten to death with hammers for saying that type of thing i really like this quote because um (laughs) cannonball run and the game and north by northwest are all kind of like you see the connecting thread of like oh that's like about conspiracies and being on the run and going Mm -hmm. from place to place but then he throws magnolia on wheels in there which i think is a really fun wrinkle yeah, Magnolia on Wheels is just, like, such a beautifully ambitious thing to say about your show that's <laughs> going to get six episodes. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, yeah, so obviously this is a lost like, right? We're not even thinking of this as a corner case or something that we're, like, apologizing for. 
it is very clearly a lost alike. And who knows? Like, if it had gone on beyond six episodes, maybe there they would it would have been aliens. We don't know. We will never know. Yeah. Well, I am going to tell you eventually. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. What their their plans are later in this episode, Hannah will reveal to me live on air what the professed <gasps> plans for the rest of Drive were. I cannot wait. Yeah. Um. But before we get to that, let's talk about our characters. Um, Huge part of why the show is good. Absolutely. Um, and the way that Drive works, as we'll get into, is that uh, in the race, everyone has a team. That, well, not everyone. Yeah. But you you can have a team or a partner that you're racing with that you'll split the prize with if you get there together. Mm-hmm. Um, the teams are constantly changing. Like, every episode, people are swapping partners, pretty much. Um, but let's just go with what the starting teams are. Yeah, like, if you're a survivor head, then this is kind of like the Cambodia second chances of Lost <laughs> Where alliances are dead and voting blocks have taken over. That's only for the edukeds yeah. <laughs> in the crowd. Um, we're talking about Alex Tully and then Corinna Wiles. Yeah, Alex Tully is played by our guy Nathan Fillion. Mm-hmm. He of going... <laughs> 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 no, it's great. When Nathan Fillion wants to be dramatic, he just like sort of acts like a large dog who is being shown a cock filled with peanut butter. Um, he's... Not the coolest character, I would say. He's, he's worst, fun. He's, he's he's the worst character on the show. Is he the literal worst? I think so. I think it's I think it's his partner. Okay. I think he gets yes. a, I think he gets a couple of moments. Yes, it is his partner, but only because his whole arc is about getting dragged into the conspiracy thing that his partner is involved in, basically. So yeah. all of their scenes can have a tendency to kind of just suck the air out of the room. Mm-hmm. Um, his deal is that he's like a humble family man landscaper in. Nebraska and Hastings, Nebraska, uh, which you will hear a trillion times if you watch the show, um, who gets just like mysteriously recruited into this by his wife being kidnapped by the race organization, right? And, you know, there's no leads, but he gets a mysterious text on like a phone that just shows up in his house. And they're like, get on the road in 15 minutes if you want answers about your wife. Uh, which, first off, sick, awesome, that rules. But yeah, I mean, like, most of his plot is, like, you know, very just, like, generic uh, ex-con who's trying to be normal type stuff. Like, if a history of violence had absolutely no juice, it's kind of Alex Tully, right? <laughs> like, he used to be a, a wheelman, yep. and that's why he was recruited, and they're like, we need you to drive fast, like, when you were a wheelman. Yeah, Alex is, is I mean, Nathan Fillion is, like, he was, oh. I, <laughs> yes, he is that. He is, like... When he's trying to not be Malcolm Reynolds, I think he is not in his element necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, not that like Malcolm Reynolds is the greatest performance of all time anyway, but like he is definitely when he's just trying to be like a generic TV badass protagonist. Yeah, he doesn't even really snark or anything. No, he doesn't at all. It's just he's just doing where's my wife material. Yeah. Um, you know, not the most engaging, not the most exciting. Yeah. He maybe has his moments, but Alex Tully is definitely, for me, and, and well, he's the second weak link. Yeah. The first weak link is, is Corinna Wiles. Corinna Wiles is his partner. Um, she has, I think, like interesting setups to her character, but they just don't kind of like pay off necessarily. Yeah. Um, her deal is that when she was, like what, eight years old or something like that, 27 years ago, she was in the position of Alex's wife as like the person who was kidnapped to, in her case, motivate her parents to uh, take part in a race. And uh, they died yes. trying to, to rescue her. Spectacularly. Uh, yeah. 
Maybe the coolest single visual moment in any one of these that we've watched. Yeah, so when they do the flashback to this, um, and maybe we'll post it on the Twitter so that people yeah, can see. Yeah, we can just do a bonus like little video clip. Um, they do, and this is how episode two opens, by the way. Uh-huh. They do like one of the most startlingly cool crash stunts I've ever seen in anything, certainly on television. Yeah. I've never seen a television show do a stunt like this where the camera's on the hood of the car and you just see like the the characters, like the whole thing's flipping over and just one shot and they're like flying all around. The mom like flies out of the back of the van. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. Like there's no bullshit to this. It's like, how did they film this? You know what it is? It's like the first time that one of these has actually like given me the same feeling as the lost plane crash. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. Because that also has, like, the back half of something being ripped apart and, Mm -hmm. like, you know, people flying out of it. But, (laughs) yeah. um, But, no, I mean, Corinna, like, her whole deal is that, like, she's not officially in the race. She kind of pretends she is. And then, like, she joins up officially because, like, you can just induct anyone into the race you want. There's there's a bit of an implication that she works for the race but has gone rogue. Yeah. And she's sort of, like, protected because she convinces Alex to make her his partner, Mm -hmm. which sort of you know, based on the arcane, unexplained race rules makes her, like, immune from uh, being fucked with by the organization, basically. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just dreading how many times we're going to say the word race in this, and it's just like... I'm so, It's unavoidable. I'm getting flashbacks to Fast and Furious 1. <laughs> Welcome to Race Wars. <laughs> no apologies on that front. Karina's not that interesting, sadly. Yeah, yeah um, she, like, wants revenge on the race organization, but, like, it's delivered in these, like, very standard, like, tough-as-nails TV-leading lady yeah. type of ways. Presumably we would have learned more about her later, but yeah. what we get is is really just not very engaging. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 the weakest part of, of this character list. Uh, yeah, let's talk about some cooler characters. So can we talk about Wendy Petrakis? Yes. Wendy Petrakis, played by Melanie Linsky herself. The talented Melanie. What's she from? Uh... That's the thing, right? It's like, I, I'm also thinking to myself, oh, Melanie Linsky is great. I love whenever she shows up. You asked me to like actually name something. This isn't a reflection on her. This is a reflection on me. Uh, I am just completely blanking. Looking like Shattered Glass. Yes! Shattered shattered Glass. She's fifth build, but I'm sure she was great. Okay. Have you ever seen Shattered Glass? I have in journalism class in high school. <laughs> That's so, so cute. So we knew what not to do. <laughs> Watching Shattered Glass in journalism class and shaking my head the whole time. <laughs> so the teacher knows I don't approve. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be so cool if you were just like given like rotten fruit to throw at the projector. <laughs> that was the class where the um, uh, professor who I hated uh, said to me one time like, yeah, I would show Citizen Kane in this class, but you know, it's like three hours long. Mm-hmm. And even at the time, as a, high- as a junior in high school, I was like, Citizen Kane is not three hours long. Citizen Kane is two hours long. There you go. Shattered Glass might be longer than Citizen Kane. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway. I just, Wendy Petrakis, yeah. Uh, Wendy Petrakis. So her whole deal is that, um, you know, she's... In, in the initial, she's a lifetime-style woman. She is. She has an abusive husband. She has a very sick-looking baby, although it never... <laughs> I think the baby just looked like that. It never comes up in the plot. Yeah. Um, she's, of course, gotten in the race to, you know, to, to flee her situation. But she has a little more going on. Cause she's a little, she's a little, she's a little bit loopy, you see, um, due to her situation, I guess. Yeah, she's, um, she's a very cool character in terms of like being somebody who is like 
just portrayed as like crazy enough to just instantly make sense of this whole race situation. Yeah. <laughs> like there's a number of other characters who are kind of like struggling to accept the reality of it, you know, and are, are just like, well, what do you mean $32 million? Like, what do you mean there's consequences if we fail? But she's just immediately like, okay, uh, not going to be near my husband anymore. Yeah. Like at in the end of episode one, she gets to the location last. I'm like, all right, your consequence. Here's a photo of another contestant and a gun. And yeah. She's just like, well, okay. Yeah, she's not thrilled with it, but she's also just like, oh, I guess I got to do this. <laughs> uh, no, she's great. Uh, she is so cool as just like a character that you can slot into anything. If you need her to be like quitting the race because she needs to go like save her infant son, she will do that. If you need her to be, like, getting back into the race with renewed vigor, she will do that. Um, just a very fun character to have around. Uh, let's move on, though, to maybe the best pair. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Trimbles, John and Violet, um, played by Dylan Baker as the dad. And and, and, and while we were watching, like, the opening credits, um, yeah. the, the, it's in a bit of a different order, right? So, like, we, they're actors we haven't seen up until now, necessarily, but, like, Esther is literally in the process of being like, look at all these fake actors. Like, none of these people exist. And then who shows up to interrupt that? Literally one name after I said that. Emma Stone's name appears on the screen. The luminous. Emma Stone. Tremendous Emma Stone. One of our great actors. Um, 17 years old on this show. Uh, 30. No. Well, I mean, look. Emma Stone is 30. She looks... Exactly the same as she does now. It's true. Yeah, that's so cool about Emma Stone is that, like, from the moment she started her acting career, she was like, I feel like I'm 30 or so. And that was true 13 years ago. That is true uh, when she is actually 30. That is true now uh, when she is, like, 37. Uh, And good for her, honestly. She found her lane and she is stuck in it. (laughs) No, she rules. She's so good in this show. She's great. She is, like, the, you know... Disaffected uh, teenage daughter. Yeah, and John is like the sort of bumbling oafish, but very well-meaning dad. Um, he's science dad. He is science. He, he's a science nerd. These two are great because you know at the start the, you have two great comedic actors. Yeah. Um, and they're really nailing what is it? You know, stereotypical father-daughter dynamic, but one that like they really do make it sing. Like these are they're funny. Yeah. You li- always like being around them. Yeah. They're Dylan sweet. Baker in the dad role. He's like extremely William H Macy with it. <laughs> And, and they're so good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but what's great about them is they really develop into something that's like, that I found like genuinely deeply affecting. Mm-hmm. Um, when it's it's sort of revealed that, you know, uh, John Trimble is um, very sick. He's probably like, he has some sort of like fatal diagnosis. Yeah. Um, and he hasn't told Violet this, but he's sort of doing this as like, you know, to go on one last trip with his daughter, basically. Yeah. And spend time with her before he dies. And, and- she doesn't know at the start. Yeah, and, and, like, not just spend time, but also just, like, have the adventure of his own lifetime, right? Yeah. Um, and, like, share something so powerful and, you know, like, reclaim the magic of the world. Because, you know, he's this science guy, right? And I, I get the sense that he's, like, kind of been bogged down in, like, I don't think it's, like, high school physics teacher, but it's, like, somebody who works for a company and uses his skills, but in a very sort of, like, rote way. He's not out yeah. there doing cutting-edge research. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's so... You know what it made me think of is... You might be too young to remember this guy, but in 2007, there's this guy, Randy Pausch. I, I, I very vividly remember I this guy. I fucking thought that this was going to be just, like, inspired by that, but this actually predates that <laughs> by, like, a couple months. Wow. That this had the pulse of the culture so well that it understood that within a few months... 
Randy Pausch is going to be like one of the biggest names in America. Yeah. Uh, for our like child listeners who don't know, who's Randy Pausch? So he was this guy who was like a science teacher um, who found out that he had this terminal diagnosis and he gave this um, speech at his college called The Last Lecture, mm-hmm. where he sort of talked about, you know, his life experiences and sort of the things that he had, moments in his life when he had made key decisions and like the things he learned from them, basically. Yeah, he was like a former Disney Imagineer and stuff. Yeah. He was like, you know, a nerd who had lived like a, a lot of cool nerd lifetimes. Yeah. And the the whole the sort of thing that happens at the end is that he, he sort of says at the end, like, I'm not giving this speech to you, my students. I'm giving it to my kids because I know I'm going to die soon. Yeah. And I want to leave them with, you know, as much wisdom as, as I have gained. And it, it went huge. It was a huge, huge deal. Like when went viral, like early internet viral 2007 viral Mm -hmm. like he was on talk shows and stuff he was had a cameo in jj abrams's then upcoming star trek movie oh that's amazing um (laughs) no randy pausch and it's a it is i mean i haven't listened to it in a very long time but it is a very very beautiful speech um and it it would make total sense if john trimble was based on him but he's not um (laughs) but he does certainly resemble and evoke him in a lot of ways But, but again, like, it shows you that the cultural appetite for Randy Pash-type figures was there in America. <laughs> <laughs> and they could have had it a couple months early. Uh, who else do we have on our character roster? So the next up is um, the Salazar brothers. Yeah. Winston and Sean. Um, very, like, funny 2007-style uh, character is Winston, because he's, like... Um, He's he's a guy from Watch Dogs One. Yeah, he he is a Watch Dogs. He's hanging out with Chirac. Or no, yeah. <laughs> I think his name is just Iraq in that game actually. Oh my god! But of course he lives. Sure. In, of course he lives in Chicago. Um, so yeah. you understand where I made the mistake. No, he is a guy who like you can just hear him say in like a slightly like grainy radio filter voice like, "Hey, essay, I marked your mini map with the first waypoint." <laughs> <laughs> Like, this is a guy that will, like, ask you to, like, visit five locations around the city. And don't mess with dead sec homes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he's great. Um, he, like, has just been released from prison. Um, I don't think we ever, like, fully learned what his crime was. No, he's cagey about it. He jokes. At, at one point, uh, Sean, his brother, who we'll get to in a sec, asks him what he did. And the first thing he says is, would you believe me if I told you I'm a murderer? And Sean's like... No. And then he goes, okay, so will you believe me if I told you I was innocent? And Sean also says no. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like the old, the last we hear of why he was in prison. Yeah. Sean is the bougie half-brother. Yeah. The idea is like after uh, Winston went away, uh, you know, the, the dad remarried, had another kid and never told him, you know, mm-hmm. about his brother languishing in prison while Sean lived a life of luxury. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, so one of them is like very preppy and like knows about computers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And he like, he wears like popped polos and has yeah. like a middle part. He has a, he's very extremely like frat bro 2007 fashion, even though he's a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there, there, there's an amazing little, uh, Cobbett ward that I, uh, saw when I was just doing research for the show. Um, which is that like some blog talking about the show, uh, was like raving about it. And mentioned that, like, these two are stepbrothers, and somebody, like, commented, it was like, great analysis, but I have to correct one thing. They are not stepbrothers. They are half-brothers. <laughs> Learn the difference. <laughs> uh, or is they called in Dune, demi-brothers? <laughs> Wait, are they really? No, I found this out on the Dune wiki the other day, because I was, like, trying to figure out what, um, 
uh, Fade Ratha's relationship to uh, the Beast Raban is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're demi brothers. They're demi brothers. Yeah, that's crazy. And the day this episode releases uh, uh, for our non patrons was the same day that Dune Part Two hits theaters. So yeah, go out and support the film. And uh, you know what? If you're listening to this on a free feed, may that knife chip and shatter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, uh, can you tell me what Rob and Ellie Laird's deal is? Because I'm going to be honest, I never fully got it. <laughs> yeah, okay. I can tell you about these two, but very quickly about Winston and Sean. Oh, please. They just form like a great little like odd couple duo, right? Like mm-hmm. they're they're super fun to have around. They eventually like ally with the main pair, Alex and Corinna. Yeah. And they sort of become like parallel protagonist duo, basically. Yeah, and like there's so many adventures that you can just have with that little setup of like two brothers that are just trying to get to know each other, and there's a real like culture shock between the two. Very archetypal, but super fun. Uh, Rob and Ellie Laird, though, uh, there's a reason I was dancing around this. Uh, they're not interesting. Their deal is that they're like newlyweds, I think. Rob is a troop, mm-hmm. and Ellie is his like perfect like you know uh suburban texas wife uh but there's like some issues going on with their marriage where it's like rob might be getting redeployed but like every time he gets like a letter or a phone call about that ellie just deletes it yeah no here's the thing are they are they objectively less interesting than alex and corinna yes Mm -hmm. but did I really enjoy the process of every episode they would show up and I wouldn't understand what was going on with them and it would seem like the same plot was happening over and over? I did. I really liked when in yeah. one episode um, the phone kept ringing and um, Rob wanted to answer it, but Ellie wouldn't let him. And eventually she throws the phone out the window of the car. And then the next episode they do the same thing, but this time it's Rob who throws the phone <laughs> out the window of the car. Yeah, no, they, they really have, um, as somebody who watched a lot of The Amazing Race... Uh, we're going to talk about the Amazing Race throughout this episode. And this is maybe the most Amazing Race team-ass, like, set of characters I've ever seen. <laughs> no, it is. It is, like, it is so... In the same way that Lost is clearly inspired by Survivor. Yeah. This is clearly inspired by the Amazing Race. That's so smart. Okay. No, I no I'm, I'm serious, Esther. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, that's right, Lost is Survivor. <laughs> no, I didn't mean that to think you were being sarcastic. I was just like, yeah, I okay. <laughs> Thank you. No, uh, I'm a huge fan of Esther. Uh, Ellie, as it turns out, is having an affair with one other cast member on this list of characters that we're looking at. And I will let Esther, when we get to the end, guess who. I'm not going to get it. Okay, we've got another car full of people. We have another car. This is the last car. Yeah. So it's Ivy Chitty, Susan Chambly, and Lee Barnhouse. Um, In general, great car. What a crew. Uh, but Ivy Chitty, standout, MVP. The clear best character. Played by Taryn Manning. Yes. Uh, moi. Wonderful, wonderful performance. Absolutely. It seems like a lot of our best characters are, like, um, beautiful, quirky, blonde women who really, like, go their own way. Yeah. And I just... Like Taylor? Like Taylor. Well, like Taylor. Yeah, who are you thinking? Who Wait, could I do be, you mean me? Who could I be thinking of, Hannah? Wait, do you mean me? Who could I be thinking of? Wait, do you mean me? Yes! Okay. <laughs> I, I, I went to Taylor first. <laughs> That's just my humble spirit. The humble one on the last broadcast. No, I, Ivy's awesome. She's, she splits off from this trio. Yeah. Um, You know, halfway we, through. 
we're struggling to figure out because they none of them seem to be on the same page. Uh, they all seem to be of like wildly different ages. Yeah. Um, like Ivy is, she looks like maybe early twenties. Lee probably like thirty or so, and Susan like forty. And it's like, how do these three know each other? Yeah. What is their deal? It's great whenever we see them because they're arguing in very like you know, hammy over the top fun ways. But like, how do they meet each other? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to tell us how they met each other? Well, they met each other in New Orleans. Yeah. After Doing what? Hurricane Katrina. Uh huh. They were they were superdome buddies. <laughs> they were superdome buddies, but they were also looters. That's right. <laughs> and at one point, uh, Ivy says to um, to Wendy. Something like, um, you know, it wasn't easy uh, getting all that stuff out of those stores. And Wendy <laughs> just goes, you were a looter? And it's the most 2007 thing I've ever heard. In the exact same way as on Lost. Yeah. It's the exact same tone as when someone asked Saeed where he served. And he goes, Republican Guard. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly the same. It's so cool. No, that that's the thing, right? It's like we've had some topical backstories in the past. And like in here as well, like Rob is a troop. But... Nobody has had as big of a brain yet to be like, I feel like the white Katrina looter. <laughs> that is just like, it's it's such a powerful character to deploy for your dumb show. Yeah. And she's so fun. She has a great moment where um, uh, Violet is trying to like, you know, she, she's very emotional. She's trying to drive away. And Ivy just steps in front of her car, hand outstretched directly in front of her and says, Whoa there, mama. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, at one point she gets a phone call from uh, uh, Wendy's like abusive husband. Uh, she has Wendy's phone at this point. And he's just like, hello, was Wendy there? And she's just like, oh, you must be uh, her husband. Well, uh, get this, asshole. I'm going to rack up so many minutes on your mobile plan. <laughs> That's how she talks. <laughs> That is exactly how she talks. Um, yeah, amazing, amazing character. Ivy's terrific. She's mean, she's rude, she gets into trouble all the time, she gets guns pointed at her, she does not care. <laughs> uh, we love her. We love her. And Susan and Lee are fine. They have a moment, Su- Susan has an episode where she keeps saying, like, we have to stay in this race, because I, God told me that we would win this race. And then at the end of the episode, they get hit by a truck, and as she's dying, she says, Lee, what really... God told me was that you would win this race and then she dies. And it's it's really great stupid television. Yeah. Um I did research on that moment. Oh really? You'll you'll find out. Ooh. It's gonna be so exciting for you. Yeah, that those are all the race teams. Um there's implied to be like other ones in the background. None of them really like get attention though. And it's weird because like we're gonna go into this, but you would think that they would just like start with a lot of background characters and it's just like all right, in this episode, this random team that you've never seen gets eliminated and they get brutally executed. It's not really that type of show, though. No, in fact, like, when teams get executed, they just stay in the race. Like, yeah. uh, like, like um, Susan and, and Lee, at one point, they are the last ones, like, to, to get to a location. Mm-hmm. And they're told, you're out of the race. You have to give us your race phone and, and go home. And they just keep participating. They just find someone else's race phone. And that's just legal. It's one of the funniest things about the show. It's like that makes kind of the organization seem not so sinister is like they can't even enforce the rules of their own race. Yeah. They cannot. They literally have no power to stop people from participating. Yeah. The, the race organization is just constantly saying with like a Darth Vader voice filter like, ah, nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There's a couple characters. Let's breeze through these because they're not really important characters. Right? Yeah. 
Um, I mean, Catherine Tully is the wife of Alex Tully. She played is played by the by lovely the Amy Acker. Luminous Amy Acker. The wonderful Amy Acker. I think I've two actresses luminous on this episode. Yeah. But it's true, she, both times. She's great in, but like, she gets very little to do, right? She just basically appears as, like, a hallucination to, to Alex being like, are you going to find me? Um, and, you know, she gets, like, some cool moments doing that, but it's it's yeah. a sort of role that it's, like, you could tell they were seating her for, like, a season two or something like that. Yeah, sadly. Um, here's a character who is a real valuable player. It's... Mr. Brightside. Mr. Brightside um, he comes is... right out of his cage yeah. and onto our screen. <laughs> and you would think that that would mean that he like drives a car, right? Like he's in a starting cage of some kind? No. No. He's like the official from the race organization. And I gotta say, last episode, I was wondering aloud, like, what the fuck do shows think they're getting out of putting these like intentionally obnoxious and off-putting characters in? Um, and it turns out they are all trying to be Mr. Brightside. Yeah, exactly. He, he is he is the first time that a sh- one of these shows has successfully pulled off a Ben Linus. Yeah. He's nothing like Ben Linus on Lost. Nothing like him. Yeah. But he is, like, such a great, like, charming and mysterious antagonist whose true intentions are impossible mm-hmm. to read, basically. Played by Charles Martin Smith from American Graffiti. But for a second you were going to say, played by Charles Martinet from Mario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's weird. He's, like, always jumping on turtles. <laughs> uh, no, um, another car movie. Another car movie, American Graffiti. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, what, what I love about him is that, like, he does such a good job of being, like, just annoyed and annoying bureaucrat that you know that there's more to. Like, uh, the first place that they all get told to go is just, like, a hotel convention center where they're going to be, like, given an orientation. Alex makes it there late. And it's not quite late enough that he just, like, completely missed Mr. Brightside, but, like, he sees Alex and is just like, Sir? Sir? You are late! I have unfortunately already put away my visual aids! What am I meant to do now? (laughs) Yeah, it's really, like... And by the way, I have to say, great storytelling decision, I think, to not have the audience have to sit through the exposition presentation where we learned all the rules. Yeah. Not just because that would have sucked, but because it enables us to learn new rules later on mm-hmm. <laughs> that were not explained to us in the pilot. Um, no, and Mr. Brightside's a really fun character. Mm-hmm. Um, By the way, his actual name is Mr. Bright. You haven't... What? You haven't... What? Second-guessed me a single time while <laughs> I've been referring to him as Mr. Brightside. No, we only... That's a joke that I've been doing. <laughs> no, 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 Go no, no, to no, the no. Wikipedia page. Go to en.wikipedia.org slash wiki slash drive hang on underscore what does it say? it says Mr. it says Mr. Bright but that can't be true (laughs) well I have just only called him Mr. Brightside and I was doing it as a joke first but then I just thought to myself I bet I can make Esther think that this is really what he's called (laughs) you did you did By the way, fun fact about the Drive Wikipedia page, yeah. every single character listed here is a blue link, yep. which would think you think, wow, someone has really been maintaining all of these pages to all of these characters. But if you just click on any of them, it just redirects to the page you are on, Drive, <laughs> Drive 2007. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, Alan James, that's a character. Why don't you take him? <laughs> people are going to think I'm so bad. People, people... 
people are going to think. She's I taking really, off her glasses and she's rubbing her temples. I really don't watch the television shows that we talk about. I watch every episode. No, you'll remember this guy once I explain who he is. Okay. He's the, like, guy working for the race organization who's, like, in the very first scene, like, the very first chase scene against Alex. He's, like, hunting Corinna down. Um... And, like, Alex first thinks that, like, he's Corinna's partner or boyfriend or something like that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he turns out to be, like, an agent of the race organization. And there's, like, some, you know, back and forth where he's, like, trying to tell Alex, like, oh, you can't trust this woman. But Mm -hmm. she's saying, like, well, you can't trust this man, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And he shows up as, like, kind of a recurring antagonist who's, like, been put in a compromising situation because they, like, have blackmail on him now. But he's, like, trying to pursue them and, like fuck them in ways that don't, like, violate the terms of the race and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, you'll forgive me if <laughs> there's nothing to this character. Yeah. And there's a guy named Detective Early. Detective Early? He is a calm, black detective who does not have anything to do for this part of the show. No, he his whole thing is just that he's tracking Alex Tully because he Alex Tully fled the state after his wife disappeared. Yeah. Which you would imagine is a very suspicious activity. So he's like, because he's, you know, he's like, uh, I got to get this guy. And he shows up in one episode late in the run to, um, you know, sort of have finally caught him. And then he and Alex have to briefly work together to get out of the jam that Alex is in in that episode. Um, you know, yeah, a, a character who one assumes would have played a much larger role later on. And it's so funny because like that just kind of recurring theme with this show in ways that like. It isn't necessarily in some of the shows we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, like, Persons Unknown had a big cliffhanger at the end of the season, and Reunion didn't finish its season, but, like, for the most part, the shows we watch have had, like, you know, relatively complete arcs. Yeah, there hasn't been that much of a sense of, like, oh, shit, maybe this is where they're going to yeah. go in the next set of episodes. Or, the, like, at the very least, they have gotten a chance to, like, all right, we'll make this seem like it could be kind of an ending. Drive just stops. Yeah. <laughs> Like, just, like, slams on the brakes, one might say. Cars. All right, so now that we have listed all these characters out, Esther, it's time for you to play the game. Which of these characters is Ellie Laird having an affair with? Okay. It's 2007, so I'm going to cut out all the women. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably fair. Good instinct. Thank you. It's not Alex Tully. Yeah, that'd be crazy. He's loyal to his wife. It could be John Trimble because, you know, he could be having sort of like a midlife crisis thing. Mm. Um, His daughter's also a redhead. Like, ooh, oh, gross. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. You um, respect John Trimble too much for that now? No, he is uh, more honorable than that. Okay. Um, it could be Winston Salazar, but he's been in prison, so that's, I feel unlikely. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I guess it could be Alan James. Is it Alan James? You got it! Yes! See? It's Alan James from the race organization. I know what I'm about. I, I was literally going to leave him and Detective Early off of this list, but I was just like, oh, I got to do a little game with Esther. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I have the correct answer in here. Yeah. Uh, going to be honest, I completely forgot that that subplot occurred until we did like the post-show research. That's fine. <laughs> anyway. So we only had six episodes, right? Mm -hmm. Which should make it nice and easy breezy to do a plot recap. Yeah, it won't though, is the thing. Fuck. No, it's not that kind of show. (laughs) It's just simply not that kind of show. Yeah. Um, You know, there's moments where it feels like it's going a million miles an hour. Car joke. There's (laughs) moments... Well, I was going to say there's moments where it feels like it's stuck in neutral. Car joke. But now I guess I'll say there's moments where it's not moving. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, we can say car things. The show certainly does. I mean, it, it is... I guess let's talk about the structure of the show. Yeah. Like, um, you know, every episode, more or less... Um, when they break this format a little bit. No, yeah, yeah you, I could see you, like, starting <laughs> to, like, form that sentence in your head, and I was just ready to say wrong, wrong. No, so the, the, I, the format of the race, at least, is, like, there's a different, they go by different legs. Yeah. So they each get a clue to what the next destination is. Yeah, like, the they, first one, they start out in, like, Tampa, Florida, or something like that. And the first one they get is just a text message on their race phones that says, Kennedy killed in... 73. Yeah. It's like, what does that mean? Well, it means they have to go to Cape Canaveral because it, prior to 1973, was known as Cape Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Just little, like, America trivia stuff like that, basically. But the idea is you get the clue and you have to figure out where you're trying to go and get there as fast as possible. Um, and you would think, oh, that's like a nice little way to divide episodes up. It's like each episode is a new leg of the race. <laughs> it's not, though, because... Um, <laughs> For, I mean, first of all, uh, every leg just seems like it's the preliminary leg to the warm-up leg yeah, to the es- starter leg. Esther, how many legs did they do in this, in the show? Well, I can tell you because um, <laughs> the Drive Wikipedia page has a very helpful uh, subheading called Route, mm-hmm. which lists all of the checkpoints. And if uh, we don't count the starting line, I'm seeing one, two, three, four, five legs. Across six episodes. Yeah, but it's like some characters will just be a leg behind. Where it's like yeah. in this episode, Alex is on leg four, but like this other team is still on leg three. Yeah, that's the thing. Like at one point, um, you know, like late in the series, Lee is like, all right, we got to head to Virginia. And I was like, oh, fuck, she's not even at Appomattox yet. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else is on their way to Cleveland. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, it's so weird that, like, you would think that there'd be, like, a regularity to this. Because, you know, we've talked about how this draws from reality TV. That this is clearly The Amazing Race inspired. Um, and The Amazing Race, it's much more regimented than this. It would be like if you're watching Survivor and it turns out that, like, the rule was that tribal council happens, like, whenever Jeff is hungry for mozzarella sticks. <laughs> Which can happen either three times a day or, like, not for a week. It would be like if tribal council was happening, but they were intercutting it with, like, one of the tribes was still on the challenge from earlier. Yeah, like, one guy is just, like, fighting a wild boar. <laughs> it's like, they're all voting. And then it just cuts back to Jeff being like, and, and Jacob's made it up, finally! Yeah. Um... Yeah, no, it's it's very just fast and loose with its structure like that. Um, but there's also ways, and we gestured towards this a little before, that the race moves very quickly. Um, which is to say that, like, Ivy switches teams twice within six episodes. She starts out with her Katrina Luter pals, <laughs> and then she gets tired of them. And after Wendy holds her at gunpoint, she's like, wow, this bitch is going to do anything to win. <laughs> Alright, time to sign up with her. <laughs> this is your Millhouse voice, by the way. It's identical to your Millhouse voice, but yet still accurate. Yeah, no, she's she's like sexy Millhouse. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um Yeah, so she signs up with Wendy, then ends up like alienating Wendy with the span of like an episode or two, and then befriends Violet. Yeah. And I love her. I love that she she was going to just make the rounds between like every team throughout. <laughs> 
No, I do really like, I mean, it is, we talk all the time about how like a good ensemble show pairs characters up in interesting ways. And I think that like Drive could have very easily stuck to this very regimented format of like, these are the pairs. But I think like had the show gone on, I bet they would have done like more mix and matching in some fun ways. I, I, I love the idea of her eventually like meeting up with Rob and just being like, do you ever know a guy named Chris Kyle? He was a real tough son bitch. <laughs> Killed three of my looter friends. Ah, <laughs> uh, but we got a plan for him. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be so cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, in addition to that, like, everyone's constantly losing their phones and getting new phones. Yeah. Like, Nobody has their original phone by the end of the show. Alex and Corinna, like, get captured in every episode. (laughs) Yeah. Like, they're barely ever seen driving, but somehow they're, like, in the lead. In the last, yeah. (laughs) In the last episode, it's, like, it starts with a cold open that's, like, um, them arriving at a, uh, you know, a, a, a destination. And Corinna being, like, taken away into custody. And being like, what? You sold me out, Alex. And then it's, like, flashback the day before, and they're like, okay, we're going to form this plan where you get captured on purpose. And they explain that plan about six times throughout the episode, and I feel like I understand, like, 70 to 80%. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that I have no idea what the plan is, it's just that, like, I would be bullshitting a little bit, you know? I would be, like, looking to double space my answer and, like, reduce the margins a little bit. No, there's a lot of, like, conspiracy-izing um throughout this show relatedly um it seems like every time they encounter like a one episode character anyone anyone on the show encounters a one episode side character they're always involved with the race they're always part of the organization yeah everyone in this world is gene parvishan (laughs) there's the best one is definitely when alex gets captured by this cop who's interrogating him and is like, listen, Alex Tully of Hastings, Nebraska. He does that thing where he yeah, says yeah. that every time. It's like, um, you know, he's like, I know who you I are. I know who you are. You're the deadliest wheel man in North America. <laughs> and it, the twist is, it turns out that that cop who's been interrogating him is part of the race and has just done this to encourage him to drive faster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like at one point, like he just kicks down the wall of the interrogation room and they're in a warehouse and just a new car is there. Yeah, it's so cool. It's like if you stop at like a like a rest stop for directions, then what immediately is going to happen to you is that the clerk is going to like talk normal for like 10 seconds and then like lean in maliciously and be like, what you need to understand, Miss Chitty, is that there is a relationship between where you are and where you must be. <laughs> and they all just give you like intimidating lectures about how you got to drive your car fast. That's the thing. It's like there's never an indication that like they're trying to like privilege certain people to ensure that there's a certain result. Mm -hmm. Like one of these guys is played by Patrick Fischler. (laughs) He's just here for five seconds. (laughs) No, it's literally just like anytime one of these guys shows up, they're like, all right, listen, uh, character I'm talking to right now. You better keep driving fast because yeah. we need you to get to the finish line. And it rules because it makes the whole thing feel like a morality play, right? Where it's just like you have entered a world where everyone, like the only NPC dialogue that exists is drive your car fast. <laughs> <laughs> this is how the driveway system works. Eliminate Parkers. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, what's interesting about this one is that other shows that got cut short clearly in the middle of what they were doing, they at least kind of like had a chance to reorient their last episode to serve as something that vaguely resembles a finale. Um, Threshold did that. 
reunion did it kind of um obviously it didn't want to be canceled at 13 episodes but it at least like had that reveal of um the main guy craig i remember his name uh like standing up and not being paralyzed after all this one there's nothing there right like it's It doesn't end on a cliffhanger. They just had no idea that six was the exact number. That it got. would be like if Walkabout was the last episode of Lost, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess that's a cliffhanger, but like, I, I it's not really for the show. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like, you know, it, it's, it's not like you have a mid-season finale leading into the NBA All-Star break. Welcome to the Smash we're recording this at the beginning of All-Star Weekend. I think, I don't know, the Celebrity Game or something is happening right now. Yeah, Maybe the Rising here. Stars tournament. Um, yeah, it is Rising Stars. It's uh, We're about to begin Team Jalen versus Team Tamika. Mm-hmm. Um, this game's really only 30 minutes? Jeez, poor kids. Um, <laughs> anyway. Okay, let's see. Who's big in this year's All-Star Celebrity Game? Kai Sinat. Wait, Kai Sadat is playing at the celebrity game? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, Jennifer Hudson. What? Are you serious? Yeah. They got... <laughs> oh, shit. Meta World Peace is just on one of the teams. Okay, well, let's see. It seems unfair to have an actual, <laughs> an actual basketball player. Yeah. Um... No, it seems like there's a lot of, like, content creator types that I'm not familiar with. Yeah, I, that's... that's oh, a... Walker Hayes is here. Fancy like Applebee's. There you go. <laughs> Got the Oreo shake with the with the Oreo steak. Um, I genuinely like that song. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Remember when there was an Applebee's in our neighborhood? Yeah. And every time we would go to Applebee's, they would be playing that song. Yeah. It was great. I, they were so happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> they were just like, oh shit. We have we now have Train, we have Imagine Dragons, and we have a third thing to play in our Applebee's. Yeah. Um, anyway. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, we don't have much of like a strict segment like we do sometimes here, but you know how nobody likes the Taco Bell skills challenge? No, nobody watches that. Nobody watches like half of All-Star Weekend. It's literally a joke. Remember when they got the, the Antetokounmpo brothers to do it one year and they just all sucked and clearly weren't trying? Yeah. <laughs> I think they should have NBA players do like Amazing Race or Survivor style challenges. Yeah. Like, just, just constantly having, like, a picture-in-picture picture in the screen, like, during the Rising Stars Challenge that, like, shows you where, like, Cam Thomas's car is right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, oh, shit, he's going to be pulling to Cleveland any minute now. <laughs> yeah, they all have to race to get to Indianapolis yeah. to, to get to the arena for the All-Star game. I think, here's what I think would be interesting. Play the All-Star game, mm-hmm. but may adjust the proportions. Yeah. So, like, narrower court. Longer three-point line, taller <laughs> baskets, and just see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> now, there was, like, something that I saw on, like, ESPN one time when I was at the gym. And it was, like, moon basketball. Oh, yeah, with the trampolines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, the whole court is trampolines. And these are, like, you know, people who, like, uh, are probably, like, in one of those, like, uh, big three tournaments or whatnot. Yeah. Um, and I remember the... Uh, the free throw rule for that league was just straight up ball don't lie. It's that you don't get free throws, but you get to go one-on-one with the guy that fouled you. <laughs> and if you score on him, then the points count. Yeah. Uh, no, that would rule. Just let them play like shit in completely weird formats like that. Let them do literal survivor-style challenges. Like, I want to see, like, I don't know, Jay Will or someone like that, like, get out to a, a real strong lead and then, like, waste five minutes on a slide puzzle. <laughs> 
Can you imagine how much fun that would be? They're charging down the lane on the fast break, but then there's like, you know, a a box with a three-digit code, and they have to pull the sword out of the box. If you gave some of these NBA players swords, they would be so happy. Add add swords. Add sword fighting. You know, that could really liven liven things up. That is how you... I mean, for the main game, like, nobody gives a shit about the All-Star game anymore. Mm -hmm. They cared for one season after they introduced the Kobe rules, but it just immediately regressed to the mean of nobody giving a shit. I think if you make the prize, like, a ceremonial sword, I think that, like, it would immediately reinvigorate That you get to use in one play that season. (laughs) And you don't have... And you can use it at any point in the playoffs, but only one play. And and if you win All-Star MVP, then not only do you get a sword, but you get, like a shield with a unique coat of arms to you on it. And you can like hang your swords in it, right? So if you have like five all-star appearances and you're an MVP, then it's like you get the five swords crisscrossing into your shield and it has like the sigil of your house on it now what if they what if it was flag basketball yes and it's like if someone gets your flag that's a turnover (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) i love it um what if you have to uh you are on a team with flight reacts and you (laughs) you cannot shoot the ball you have to get him to score somehow. <laughs> uh, what if you do like those YouTuber challenges where it's like, uh, can 100 children score on me? <laughs> I, I saw when I saw with my sisters, the Harlem Globetrotters last month, yeah. two months ago, there was an amazing um, bit where uh, they were like, they, they would keep interjecting with these little, like, you know, random challenges to involve the audience, basically. Mm-hmm. And one point was the mini generals, where the Washington generals would get to involve, like, five children, would get to join the court to play against the, the Globetrotters. The implication, of course, being that they would be pretty ineffective, but they would be having fun. Yeah. Um, but a child did score on one of the Harlem Globetrotters, <laughs> tying the game. Um, very fun. The, the Washington Generals, um, shout out to the one uh, white boy in the Washington Generals whose job it was to just hit four pointers to keep the game close. <laughs> the newly invigorated and optimistic Washington General. <laughs> I love that they're not evil. They're just cute. Yeah, they're just bad. It's okay. Yeah. Invite them to All-Star Weekend. Please. Oh, wait, no, wait. It, it actually... Doing, like, uh, a Washington General-style team against the All-Stars really, I think, would make it a lot more entertaining. One All-Star team against the Washington Generals. Yeah, absolutely. We're not doing two All-Star teams. It's just, like, I want to see, like, you know, Jokic doing passes to Giannis, and he just, like, disintegrates the bodies of three Washington Generals. (laughs) (laughs) He's just doing, like... What are they called in From Soft Games where you, like, break their poise? Oh, um... I just breaking poise pretty much. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just he clearly is doing one of those animations to them <laughs> <laughs> where they're like kneeling down and then he just posterizes them and you just hear like this blood spurting sound effect. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, do that. That's that's our plans for All Star Weekend. Uh, Adam Silver, we know you're listening. And enough with this AI stuff. No yeah. one wants that. Come they on. want swords. Um, <laughs> This has been the Smash McTumble. They want swords. Yes. All right. Uh, where are we at? Um, I think we were just talking about, like, um, 
you know, the, the, the show having been canceled too early yeah. and like where it would go next. It left off completely, just arbitrarily pretty much. Um, and I'm going to tell you at the end of this all where it would have gone, but we're still leading wait. up to that. I can't wait. Um, I, we did have an idea of where the show could have been going that I, I would like to talk about because we, we didn't, we never really learn like what the mysterious plan of the organization is, because yeah. as we said, they seem to have no ulterior motive mm-hmm. and they're helping everyone. So we really like the idea that <laughs> the point of the organization was that just that they needed people to deliver cars to the finish line. Yeah. And it's like when, when they get to the finish line and it's like, it's neck and neck, right? It's like, <laughs> you know, Alex is there, but also like the Salazar brothers are like right behind him. And like, you know, John Trimble's on his last legs and he's going to like win it one last time for his daughter. And then they all just pull up to the finish line and immediately like a bunch of 60 year old guys in like expensive suits just sort of swarm them and are like, I want that one. <laughs> I called dibs. I want the blue car. <laughs> Just, it's, they're doing, like, the dad flashes scam. <laughs> being like, oh my god, a 2002 Chevy Impala. I need it! <laughs> and that rules, too, is that, like, none of these cars are, like, super flashy cars. It's no, all no, just, no. like, the things that you get in, like, uh, the very start of, like, a Forza game. Where yes. it's like, alright, here's your first circuit, Ford Focus Days. <laughs> uh, no, that would have ruled so that much. That would have been great. Yeah. Um, no, we were making fun of the show a lot, but like we said, we really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. And I think a big part of that is like the tone is, they really nail it. Yeah. I would describe the tone. I think I like came with this observation, like episode two, that like, it feels like a Lucas Lee movie. Yes. From Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's like, you can absolutely swap him out for Nathan Fillion and like the show would be made uh, a little bit better. Right. Like mm. it wouldn't interfere with the tone whatsoever. Um, it's very, like, USA Network, you know? But it's it's specifically, like, it's not necessarily USA Network show, but it's a, it's a movie that, like, always seems to be playing on the USA Network when you go to the gym. And it's just like, <laughs> how often do they air this? <laughs> no, it is, it is the one Lost Alike we've seen so far that is for dumb people. Yeah. I mean, all of the Lost Alikes are dumb to varying degrees. Yeah, but they think, basically, that it's like, well, because we have an ensemble, because we have a central mystery, and because we hide stupid clues in our opening credits, that means that we're for smart people. This one understands, no, dumb people watch this. People who drive cars fast. (laughs) Like, the very first thing that happens in the show is, like, we can drop the narration in, right? But, like, it's narration that says, like, you know over 500 million cars are in America at any given moment. So the next time you're in traffic, maybe think about how that man is racing for his life. (laughs) There are 500 million cars worldwide, over half in the U.S. alone. And for as long as there have been cars, there has been the race. Secretly moving across America's roads and highways, it may be happening around you now. So the next time some jerk cuts you off on your way to work, give them some slack. They could be racing for their lives. No, it is like, um, I think it understands like the appeal of reality competition shows too. Um, Like we talk about how Lost is inspired by Survivor. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is sort of like, you know, it's so much about like shifting alliances and solving puzzles. Yeah. And you know, why the fuck didn't persons unknown have puzzles? No. Why does this have more puzzles than persons? We are still, yeah, we're still on this a month later. I know, yeah. but it's ugh, ugh, disgusting. 
Um, yeah, it also just, like, it understands characters really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, like, the structure of the show at all times feels like uh, all the parts of Lost where two characters just wander into the jungle and chat while journeying. Like, it gets that sense of, like, inter-character dialogue and, like, learning each other's backstories and flashbacks and fun combinations. Um, and that actually dovetails into another way that the show is really lovely, because it also understands ensembles on a visual level. Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, obviously a lot of, like, you know, a lot of the show is this really kind of good effects work, where it's they, mm-hmm. they obviously shot a bunch of exteriors of cars racing down yeah. what we very quickly notice is the same stretch of highway over and over and over. Yeah, it's just like outside Los Angeles. But it'll swoop into the windshield and then cut, you know, very seamlessly. It'll become like the inside of the car. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, yeah, it's just like, it, it is a surprisingly well-directed, not in the way that like, you know, was a reunion well-directed? Yeah. That, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to remember yeah, like, which one was well-directed. I mean, Daybreak was really well-directed Day- in Daybreak so many places. Daybreak was particularly well-directed. But I think this yeah. one is like, it is the work that it needs to do to make a lot of like, yeah. to convince you that these people are really in the cars. Yeah. Also just like, again, it's visual sense of ensemble. I'm like, I'm hung up on this because it's so surprisingly good. Like all persons unknown ever did it was just like to convince you that there's an ensemble is have like a big group reaction shot whereas this there's so many like ambitious crane shots where it like starts with here's one team but then actually we're panning over and seeing that another team is like right behind them not like while they're like driving down the highway necessarily but like just while they're parked right it like shows you the spatial relationships and how like all these guys are intermingled there's a really fun sequence where like a space shuttle is blasting off and we just see, like, everyone looking up at it in wonder. Like, they're all at different places on the road now. But they all have that shared experience of watching it, except for Alex, who is, like, monomaniacally focused on the road. And it's like, holy shit, visual information is being communicated. I love it. <laughs> that happens so rarely with these shows. Yeah, and we talked about the uh, the car stunt at the beginning of episode two. Yeah, it's if, just if we like... haven't posted that, like, get on our cases for it. Yeah, seriously, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know... It has its moments of, of of wackiness, like, you know, sometimes it's a little scattershot in yeah. the style. Episode six is like they had like a haunted copy of Final Cut, where it's like, <laughs> it will apply a random filter for every scene. No, it was Final Cut, like, Nuzlocke mode. Yeah. <laughs> where it's like every scene, you cannot reuse you a o- different effect. Yeah, and you only catch the first filter that you see. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, like, obviously the, you know, the budget concerns, they get up to you. But I think they honestly did super well with the budget that they had. Um, the last thing that I think we want to like bring up as something that charmed us about the show is the music. Yeah, it's really funny because every episode has a new needle drop. Someone will just start singing and the song will just be like, when I'm driving in my car. <laughs> <laughs> I have a drive for the future. <laughs> Rotate my tires. Yeah. Actually, the reason the show is so low budget is uh, every in episode six they had to spend the entire budget because uh, the Beatles song "Drive My Car" yeah. just played faintly <laughs> under every single scene. They can barely even hear it. Like, yeah, why weird. would someone do that? Why they spend and why did it cost them that much? Yeah, if they were just gonna play it at that volume. <laughs> um, my favorite piece of music from it though was the theme tune. The theme song is great. It's it's bad in it's a way really that's bad. really charming to me yeah. it's by gavin rossdale who 
I, I told Esther, like, oh, he's, like, the front man from Bush. You know Bush? And she was like, no, I never heard of that. And I said, okay, well, have you seen the movie Constantine? <laughs> she was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, he's, like, the oily, like, British demon who's played by a guy who's, like, obviously not an actor. She was like, I think I remember that a little bit. And so you heard it here. The movie Constantine has outlived the cultural impact of Bush. <laughs> I think that's undeniably true, yes. Yeah. But no, it's, like, it's obviously like cut together from two parts of a song because like the first half of it is like how fast would you drive drive your car around (laughs) and the second half is like and if i see you in detroit (laughs) i'll sell boats for my dad we can move to indianapolis (laughs) (laughs) it really is amazing that the chris cornell james bond theme of this era was so good yeah (laughs) It had to be that because that's all music was at that time. Yeah. But somehow that was the one song that ended up being good. Yeah, this this album that this song is from, this was written for the show, but then it also appeared on his album that released a year later. The album got 48 on Metacritic. And it's like, I'm sorry, if you're in the music section of Metacritic and you spell your name right in the liner notes, <laughs> that's a 70 guarantee. <laughs> it's like this album, Kevin Federline... And uh, the Farrah Abraham record, which is, like, one of the best records of the 2010s. But, yeah, that's the only way you can get below 50. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's Hannah's, like, bizarre grudge for the episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess now we move into talking about, like, why did this show not do so good? Swine is why. It's uncultured, uneducated swine who didn't appreciate. I thought you were saying that it was actually, like, a horde of pigs stormed the... <laughs> The network and yeah, made them they, cancel they, it. They couldn't do any more like stunt driving shots because like feral pigs just <laughs> invaded every road. <laughs> if you are home, do not get on any highway. Yeah. Feral pigs are on all of them. Um, so yeah, I mean, we have uh, sort of gestured at the scheduling bizarreness. I think we should just talk about it in full. Yeah, you um, want to just dive now, into it with your so research. Episodes one and two aired on April 15th. Tax day. Which was... <laughs> Patriots Day. Which was a Sunday. A Sunday evening. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I, I don't know if you know this, it's not when you watch things on network television. Typically. No. Now, it's bad enough to start a show in April, right? Because in <laughs> April, on network television, the show is, see, your shows are ending. Yeah. You know? I checked, like, the 2006, 2007, like, network broadcast schedule. And I was like, oh, did any shows that started as spring debuts, like, take off? The answer is none. Of course not. You know, summer replacement shows are like their own thing. They're kind of assumed they're going to be trashier and not as good, right? Yeah. Because if they were better, they would air on the fall. Exactly. Um, So the the first two episodes premiered as a block on Sunday night. Mm -hmm. A repeat of Extreme Makeover Home Edition demolished them. So Mm -hmm. right off the bat. Okay. Fuck six million viewers. You yeah. know, it's like... Yeah, but it's it's Fox, right? Like, they're always fourth. It, it's fine. <laughs> That's true. Um, the weirdest weird thing. Episode three aired the next night on Monday. On Monday. It took the pre-24 time slot from Prison Break, which ended its second season a couple weeks beforehand. Dropped 300,000 viewers from the previous day. It had lost <laughs> viewers from 24 hours prior. You could, you could tell... Uh, that this was like something they were trying to get the prison break juice out of. Yes, hundred percent. But it just not was not there. They advertised this as um the two night three hour premiere event. The two night three hour premiere event, 
which could, would end up comprising 75% of the aired episodes. They got one more episode after that, come on. Yeah, not even close. That's so sad. The episode of 24 which followed it, which was episode 18 of season 6, mm. literally doubled its viewership of episode 3. Doubled it. People, like, said, I'm not tuning into Fox until 9pm. Yeah. Episode 4, half the viewers in its time slot as deal or no deal that night. Mm-hmm. Um... And I noticed when I was doing my research, season one of Heroes was like, at the exact same time, setting the world on fire. Yeah. On Monday nights. Like, it's so obvious to see how, like, the standard of Lost to, like, broadcast success was being set in real time. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you think about it that way, if you look at an episode four of Drive and episode whatever, you know, 12 of Heroes that same night. Yeah. Ob- it's kind of obvious why they were like, all right, just pull the fucking plug. Like, yeah. if we can't hit these numbers, there's just no point. Yeah. And like, you know, I think that the other things that contribute to the the failure here are like things that we already like have talked about. It's super irregular. It's it's a reality show, but it's so far from a reality show structure. Um, the budget was already being super strained with just the six episodes that they shot. Mm-hmm. Um and also, just, like, critics didn't like this, right? Nope. Like, and you understand why. Like, it, it is dumb in ways that critics are not going to respect, right? Like, yeah. uh, uh, I was reading, like, the one review that's just, like, linked outright in Wikipedia, not even used as a source, but it's just, like, check out this review. Uh, and it, like, it's one of those ones where it's just, like, phooey, poppycock, balderdash, what does any of it mean? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah, you can see how this is not going to be aligned to those sentiments whatsoever. Exactly, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it's like a particular mystery why it failed. Yeah, not at all. I mean, which is, it's too bad because it's like, it, it's an entertaining show. Mm-hmm. I think like, had it had a better shot, it, it is a, it, it would have done better. Classic example of uh, Fox just not kind of, not, not doing right by something. Um, why don't we, why don't we talk about uh, who, who the fuck made this? Yes, um, Tim Minear made this. Tim Minear. He has such an interesting arc of being a Joss Whedon guy who then transitioned over to being a Ryan Murphy guy. Um, and like, he's been involved in like some really successful shows, he's, right? He's, that is such like a scheming vizier yeah. type <laughs> career arc. Like just, just, as, just as the engin- the fall he's engineered for king of television Joss Whedon is taking effect... He yeah. slithers over to Ryan Murphy's jo- camp. Joss Whedon was like eventually, like occasionally having these like pains of conscience where he's like, I don't know, should I just like be constantly berating women and just like <laughs> slabbing my feet in their face? And Timothy was just like, no, my lord, you rule wisely. <laughs> I've already set up another date with one of the producers for you. No. Your wife will never know. Yeah. Um, but Timothy is also known for something else. Because, like, he, he did work on a lot of successful shows. Um, like, he's listed as a co-creator for, like, the 911 universe, which is, like, one of five shows left on network TV that people watch. <laughs> but if we uh, scroll down in the research, um, do you want to read or should I read this uh, snippet from his Wikipedia page? Tim Minear has worked on several shows that have lasted for only one season, including Strange World, Firefly, Wonderfalls, The Inside, Drive, Terriers, and The Chicago Code. After nearly a decade of writing and producing TV shows which lasted for a single season, the streak came to an end when he was hired to write and produce for Ryan Murphy's American Horror Story. 
Because of all the shows he has written and produced that lasted for only one season, he took the Twitter handle at canceled again to mark his status as a writer producer who was consistently in search of more work. That's so funny though, to be like at canceled again when like you are just straightforwardly really successful. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's like just like going thirty and O in like a modern warfare map and just like constantly like this fucking lag. <laughs> exactly. Um yeah, there's also a guy named Ben Queen, who's the other showrunner. Um Ben Queen is a guy who was a screenwriter on Cars Two and Cars Three, so it's like Okay, <laughs> we, you're laying we on get it. thick, buddy. You like, <laughs> you like cars, sheesh. Yeah, it's like do Monsters Incorporated to show us you have range. <laughs> Um, but he also show ran something called Powerless. Are you familiar with Powerless? I'm not familiar with Powerless. Very quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Powerless takes place in the DC universe and follows the adventures of Emily Locke, played by Vanessa Hudgens, as director of research and development at Wayne Security, a subsidiary of Wayne Enterprises based in Charm City that specializes in products to help ordinary humans avoid becoming collateral damage in the battles between superheroes and supervillains. That right there is the most crack.com TV synopsis I have ever heard. God, absolutely. That is like <laughs> that is like one step from making it. It's like, what if there's a TV show about the guys who clean up after the Avengers? Yeah. I mean, they did that with both Star Trek and Star Wars. And so I'm yeah. surprised they didn't do it with like, you know, Batman and Spider-Man and shit. Honestly. Um, so, you know, good on crack.com for having that restraint, I guess. <laughs> um, the last kind of like chief creative person here is a guy named Greg, uh, Yaitanis. Yeah. Uh, who is, I mean, in addition to being a guy who just like pops up all over the place, he worked on Lost, right? Oh, yes. He directed some like very cool episodes. <laughs> Solitary, that's the one where like, uh, Danielle Rousseau first appears. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's now an EP on House of the Dragon, clearly doing very well for himself. Oh, yeah. He was also an early angel investor in Twitter, which means that this is the first TV show that ever had, like, a live watch-along Twitter account. Now, here's what I want you to do. Yeah. I want you to go to Twitter.com and type in af after the slash after Twitter.com mm -hmm. Fox Drive. One, yeah. one word, Fox Drive. And I want you to look at the profile picture of Nathan Fillion's extremely compressed face and a as you listen to us tell the story of yeah. that Fox Drive. Make him larger and larger, you know? Like, find ways to blow him up. Okay, Esther, this is how large I have him on my screen. Okay, that's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. Okay, so let's see what's on at Fox Drive. So what's funny is if you... If you, the, the first tweet that you see, the most recent tweet from the account from September 17th, 2009, just says, send a follow request to at Greg Yaitanez, director of Drive, and now the producing director of House for updates. Second tweet from that same day just says, Fox Drive, yo. <laughs> Fox Drive being one word. Um, the account had not tweeted previously since the show was on the air in April of 2007. He just found the password, it seems, and said, all right, follow me on my real shit. This is Greg Yaitanis tweeting, by the way. But you wouldn't know that from reading the tweets. <laughs> because one of the first tweets, as he's live tweeting the one of the episodes, just says, bad directing moment. Shuttle is taking off and no one is watching it as Alex runs away. As we're watching, we're reading through this, we're like, is this from the show? Or is this like a fan? But no, this was the official show account. Just tweeting stuff like, thumbs are killing me. 
yeah. from all the tweeting he's doing. He seems to think that Twitter and tell me is a phrase. <laughs> like, he'll just be like, Twitter and tell me what you thought of the episode tonight. He posted that in April 17, 2007. There's a reply from June 2023 that says, I thought it was great. Sorry it took so long to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's a tweet that says, Bill's gotten a wrench, a smack, a boot, a conk, and it's not done. And then immediately before, fourth time, Bill has been conked. Bill, shovel to the face. Never ends. (laughs) Who's Bill? Who is Bill? Wait, who's Bill? Who's Bill? Is he talking about one of the actors? Bill Macy? No. Who's, who's Bill? The... Who the fuck? There's no character or actor named Bill. No, absolutely not. Um, no, Who's this Bill? is gonna shake me to my core. It's n- none of the cast members, none of the characters. Um, nobody even that just like makes it onto Wikipedia, but we were like not thinking to mention. Insane. Okay. From we're a, never going to find out who Bill is. But we are going to find out that Greg Yajada says, from a visual effects standpoint, cars are our spaceships. Instead of space out the windows, we put the real world. Actually, much harder. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then said, um, Nathan is pausing the show now and then, so we might be a little out of sync. (laughs) Just like, this this is the Wild West of social media in 2007. Yeah, and he's all got like two likes, not because it was just like a complete failure, but just because like nobody was on Twitter at that point. It's 2007. 2007. Um... Oh, one thing he says here, the Google Earth-style shots help as the racers get more spread out across the U.S. We didn't mention those. Um, you you think that this dry, Fox Drive profile picture is blurry? So many of the establishing shots are like Google <laughs> Earth zoom-ins, where it's like, this is the blurriest roof I've ever seen. <laughs> At one point, he's, uh, the Knight of the Fury said, At Nathan's with the cast of Drive. This is Greg Yaitanas, director of The Frist Two Hours and exec producer. Stay tuned for some backstory. <laughs> and I just, like, this makes me almost emotional to see when an official Twitter account for a network television show could just be total chaos yeah. with absolutely no oversight. It's an entire account made out of the LA Chargers P.F. Chang's tweet. <laughs> he, like, talks about uh, how the tire skid marks are black paint, like, three separate times. <laughs> he was so proud of that effect. Uh, no, he's he's amazing. Uh, huge fan of what he did right there. One of the first tweets from the day before the episode aired is just hoping for big ratings. Yeah, it's nothing Aww. for him. Don't worry, there's many good things awaiting you. 2007 mm-hmm. Greg Yachanas. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, huge shout out to him. We, we, I, I have so much admiration for him. Mm-hmm. This is now one of the only accounts that At The Lost Broadcasts follows on Twitter. Yeah, just in, in case, case he comes he back. Starts up again. Yeah. Um, Last person that I want to shout out, just like super quickly, is Elodie Keen, who directed an episode of this. Not necessarily the best episode, it was episode four, but she has directed episodes of this, Reunion, and Daybreak, making her, so far, the surefire signal that you're going to get a good Lost Alike. Oh yeah. She is the stamp of quality, and we appreciate her for that. We love her. Great yeah. work. Um, Okay. Now that we're done with that, we just have like a little odds and ends of research to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, something that was like fascinating that I learned about this is that this was the first thing to ever uh, be aired online 
that got a Emmy nomination. Because mm-hmm. what happened is that they had submitted like their stunt work for like outstanding visual effects in a drama, but they got canceled too quickly for it to be eligible. So like they were begging and sending all these like letters to the Television Academy, being like, "Please, can you work something out? Can we find a loophole?" And what they said is that like, okay, cut together a special that's just like a three minute scene, drop it online. And we'll make it eligible for, like, the outstanding special effects in, like, a limited series, miniseries, or TV movie category. So it made history. Um, and it, it says here that, like, 20 years from now, when Emmy only recognizes programming found on the internet, historians will point to the mostly forgotten drive as the show that started it all. Wrong. No one's no. pointing to it. No one is doing that. We're the sorry. first people to point to the show in years. Um... Let's go very quickly to this archive link that I have of the website, the original 2007 website. Yeah, let's take a look at this on on the Wayback Machine. Yeah. Um, You can see that there's a profiles, like a character bio section on here. And just tell me what are the various like sections that they have listed out as like the vital stats for the characters. (laughs) So they have height, occupation, income, education, and age. We need to know that Alex Tully has a bachelor's of science in agricultural sciences from the University of Nebraska, and he makes $48,000 a year. <laughs> it's just such an insane thing. Like, they did not know what went on a website. No, yeah, this is a great, just like, just so many great early internet things in terms of how to market a television show. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, perfectly fitting for a show that would eventually be, uh, you know thrown into the grave that was fox.com for its final two episodes yeah and with that i think the last thing that we have to do is go through some of the highlights from this article that i found about what would have happened if the show had continued because this is one of the craziest things that i've seen yes in the last broadcast. i'm so excited there's a bunch of bullet points here okay i say that we go uh alternating okay right? sure i'll read out the first one says here, keep in mind that because only six scripts were completed, many ongoing storyline details hadn't been decided and now never will. According to Manier, I was so busy trying to address network notes and production concerns that it was hard to get too far ahead. Understandable. That is a classic kiss of death for Lost Delights. We're yep. like, we want the magic, but we will also flail at the first sign of trouble. One of the major plot, and I haven't read any of this, by the way. Yeah, this is fresh for Esther. I'll be reading this for the first time. One of the major plot points that was being revealed was that each race participant or team had to have a sponsor to be part of the race. In some cases, the team was aware of the sponsorship, and in some cases, they were not. Manir offered, some of the sponsors would have nefarious slash revenge motives for some of the players. Others would have more great expectations-esque benevolent motives. (laughs) Great! I love it. This one fucking rules. Ivy, Lee, Susan, and many of the background teams were included by the race company, to simply make the race more interesting. <laughs> Silverstein says, sort of like non-player bots in a multiplayer what? video game. Imagine the fury when Lee finds that out. Wait, 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 okay, so some of them clearly were intended to win. Right? What? You were saying that throughout, and I was just like, mm, I can't tip my hand here. What? Okay. Alex was a former robbery getaway driver. We know that. It would have likely been revealed that his kidnapped wife was part of the plan to force Alex into the race, through all of their courtship and marriage? <laughs> she was like, you are the most powerful getaway driver in Nebraska. I will seduce you. 
That's crazy. That's crazy. It's so cool. Um, friends Susan Chambly and Lee Barnhouse, Michael Hyatt, and Rochelle Eights. In one of the script drafts, Susan's truck killing, truck driving killer, yeah, because we mentioned that like yeah. she gets hit by a truck and, and killed, was set up to be a faceless serial killer, <laughs> not unlike the truck driver in the film Duel. Yes! In another version, the sociopathic killer would have been played by sexy actress <gasps> Eliza Dushku. No! A veteran of Angel, which was also executive produced by Meneer for a time. Most likely, though, the killer in the truck would have been revealed to be a former contestant who had become partially paralyzed in the race and was seeking revenge. Awesome. I, oh, my God. I, I wish it was sexy actress Eliza Dushku. That yeah. would have been so good. All right. It would have been revealed that John was his own sponsor in the race. Minear adds, we would have learned that John Trimble was not really sick. The meds were making him sick. <laughs> Part of the game of the race? His believing he was a doomed man changed him and made him capable of things he normally would not be capable of. Once he realized he was not going to die, he'd instantly be hit by a bus, cause funny. <laughs> Whoa. What? Okay, maybe it's a good thing that this show <laughs> got canceled after six episodes, actually. And the last one here is, other episode ideas that weren't explored include the racers driving through a vicious storm and the aftermath of a 30-car pileup. Had Drive continued to a second season, the duo say there would have been a new race with new players, and some of the first season characters would take on new roles in the competition. So exactly like Persons Unknown. Exactly like Persons Unknown. Um, yeah, of course. I think that's the go-to answer when it's like, oh, season two is a new race, but some of the contestants have, you know, joined the organization. Yeah. So as you can see, that's, like, when we did that, like, um let's look at, you know, season two plus that never made it to air for something like Invasion. It was just like, oh yeah, this is going to be the next villain and like this character becomes a badass and this character turns out to be like, you know, double agent. Here is just like, John Trimble gave himself cancer by taking <laughs> drugs and then gets hit by a truck the moment that he realizes he wants to live. Um, yeah, fascinating stuff. My God. I, I both want to see what that would have been, and I'm so glad that they didn't get to make that. We're so blessed with the drive that we got and exactly that amount. <laughs> <laughs> Love the drive you're with. Yeah. That's what I like to say. <laughs> that's so cute. Okay. That's it. That's drive. Congratulations. That is drive. You made it to the finish line. You made it. <laughs> and I need your tires rotated. Oh, yeah. I'll rotate my tires by driving my car around, asshole. I like that tweet so much. Yui Hannah's been quoting that tweet a lot. It's good. Yeah. Um, okay. So we are super happy to watch the show. It falls perfectly into the range of the ideal loss. So like something that like Esther and I would have never watched in a million years because like we're always being like, mm, what's Simon Long films that we haven't watched yet? <laughs> um, but like it's always a treasure to be exposed to this like bold outsider art. Um <laughs> But yeah, may our future hold more drives and fewer persons unknown. But that's not in our hands. Whose hands is it in? Uh, our beloved patrons, in fact. That's right. You, for the first time ever, will get to decide what our next episode will be about if you're a patron of the show. If you go to patreon.com slash thelostbroadcasts mm -hmm. or follow the link in our Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um we will tell you now what the four options are. Yeah. And if you're not a patron and you really want us to watch one of these shows, maybe you can go and become a patron and vote. You gotta subscribe at the $3 level for this, which also gets you 
uh, the show notes, as well as early access. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also just bump it up to five if you want our bonus episodes, too. Those are really You can fun. give us any amount of money. Yeah, no, give us 12. Give us 20. Just specifically 12. Just give us... I want 12. Hannah really wants $12. I could go for more, frankly, but... Yeah, I'm not greedy. The greedy <laughs> one on the last broadcast. You give me 100 and I'll give her 12 of the 100. How about that? Nice. Um, so anyway. 12. <laughs> All right, so we have four options here. Um, you can vote for Alcatraz. You can vote for The Event. Or you could vote for The Nine. Or, or you could vote for Terra Nova. And we're not going to be doing this like every month there's a poll. We're going to be doing it just like... When we feel like we've reached a little stopping point where it's like, oh, we don't have like an obvious next thing to lead into. But like, I mean, let's say the event wins. We're probably going to do like a few alien invasion ones in a row, right? Just like build a bit of a thematic bridge like we did with the site specifics. Um, But yeah, this is now just going to be something that we're occasionally offering as a benefit. Decide what we watch and thus either condemn us to persons unknown or bless us with drive. It's in your hands. (laughs) Well, um, I suppose that about wraps it up for this month. Thank you so much again for listening. Mm-hmm. Um, if you liked the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah. You can follow us on Twitter at Lost Broadcast. You are following us on Twitter already. You are. Yeah, you yeah, are. Yeah, statistically you are. So you almost certainly are. Uh, you can send us an email at thelostbroadcast at gmail.com. We get yeah. a couple of those every now and then. Only every now and then, but it makes me happy. Yeah. Um, if I don't respond, I'm so sorry. I forget to check. You can just add us on Twitter. We always love it when our fans do. We will mostly see that. Yeah. yeah or yeah. just go to patreon.com slash the lost broadcast. We just told you about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll love you so much. And also just go to www.nascar.com and just check out the cars. Look at the cars. Yeah. Look at, go to nascar.com slash car. And figure out your favorite car and find don't your tell car us. And don't <laughs> tell anyone. So never speak of take it. Take that to your grave. Just like dig a hole, whisper it into the hole, and then watch like a bitter tree bloom. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, folks. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next month with some episode that you will get to vote. Bye. Bye. Bye.